Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Trusting in God's great and abundant grace, let us confess our sins together. Almighty God, we come to you confessing that we have looked the other way, ignored our neighbor in need, and have given in to selfish gain. We confess we have put our own lives above the lives of others, basing our needs on our desires instead of seeing the needs of the world around us. Forgive us. Call us to live as you live, to lay down our lives for one another in sacredness and to reach out to one another in mutual love and concern. In the name of Jesus, who continues to show us the way, we pray. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Before I read the gospel lesson today from John, let me first say thank you for the invitation to be with you in worship today. I appreciate it very much, and maybe more than you know. Melissa Ann Rogers, I must say, is a very persistent person. In my first year of retirement, I was busy doing all of the things that are nearly impossible to do uh, when you have a full-time job. I was visiting grandchildren, of course. I was walking uh, 500 miles across northern Spain, otherwise known as uh, hiking the Camino de Santiago. I was even enjoying the occasional Sunday morning sitting in the, the far back of the church, having no responsibility for anything. Uh, But she eventually found an open date on uh, my calendar, and so I am here. It is good to see her again, and it is good to see all of you. So many familiar faces, and you haven't changed a bit. (laughs) When I think back uh, to my uh, ministry here uh, with you, I am overwhelmed by what a rich opportunity it was. Uh, I came to a church, for example, that was uh, alive and active in mission, and uh, and not the one-and-done mission trips that uh, so many churches undertake these days, but substantial and long-term partnerships in places like the Philippines and Peru and Haiti and 
uh, Israel-Palestine. I think it was the privilege of a lifetime to have participated in those, and there are experiences there that I will never forget. And then there's the residency program. I was thrilled to be able to work with uh, young pastors, and I knew pastors. They weren't also young. And uh, today I'm thrilled that those new pastors continue to be good friends and, and colleagues. My older daughter, as some of you know, is a, a Presbyterian pastor and herself a former Lilly resident at the uh, mothership in Indianapolis. Today she works alongside a, a former Ann Arbor resident at the Westminster Church in Minneapolis. Many of you remember Megan Gage, now Megan Gage Finn. Uh, if you don't mind one more reminiscence, I have lots more. Uh, uh, but if you can manage to listen to just one more, I have to say thank you for all of those invitations to Michigan football games, and of course for the tailgating that inevitably went with the, the football game. I, if I wasn't exactly a, a true blue Michigan fan before I came here, I was when I left. I caught the bug, and fortunately, there's been something to cheer about these last few years, although sadly not at the end of November. I want to say something today about uh, uh, coming home and uh, what it feels like and what this feels like, so let's turn together to the gospel lesson for today. Uh, our gospel lesson is from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 14, and the first <coughs> six verses there. And, and just uh, by way of introduction, uh, these words are intended as uh, final words of instruction. These are words of hope that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples, and of course, with us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends of Jesus Christ, I, I chose the topic, uh, coming home uh, for today's sermon, because that's the subject uh, I have been thinking about for the last year, ever since I retired from my church in Switzerland. Uh, I haven't uh, lived in western Michigan for more than 40 years, but the plan had always been to come home uh, to the place where my 92-year-old mother lives. She won't be happy that I mentioned her age. Uh, to the place where my uh, sisters still live. And uh, to the place that I have always thought about as home. I enjoyed uh, my years in Switzerland. As many of you know, it's a breathtakingly uh, beautiful country, no matter where you look, no matter what season of the year you happen to be there, but it wasn't home. And uh, it never uh, would be home. I could have stayed. The, the path to citizenship is not easy, but I was well on my way. I mastered the language, uh, though I will never sound like a native speaker. Uh, and I was becoming settled. But no matter how long I lived there, I realized that uh, it, it would never be home. 
So here I am back in Michigan, and, and I have to say it is good. It is good to be here. When I first got off the plane, I had to resist the temptation to get down on my knees and kiss the ground. <laughs> I love this state. I love the sunsets over Lake Michigan. I love the people, uh, most of them. <laughs> I love the beautiful fall colors, not the leaf raking so much, but oh my, it is beautiful here. I even love winter. Uh, not when it snows in, in April, of course, but winter is beautiful. Uh, all of it feels like home to me, but in what sense is this home? I mean, uh, Western Michigan got along just fine without me for more than 40 years, and it's not as though anyone missed me while I was gone. My mother, maybe, but very few others. What makes the west side of this state home to me? Well, the answer is complicated, and it's a lot more complicated than, than you might think. And just in case you're wondering what the connection is between home and, and the Bible and home and our faith, let me just say that the Bible is filled with stories about home. On nearly every page, which is a bit of a hyperbole, but on nearly every page, people are either leaving home or, or coming home. I understand that Lisanne is going to preach a sermon next Sunday on leaving home. The home figures prominently and powerfully throughout the Bible. Way back in the book of Genesis, God commanded Abraham and Sarah to leave home and to go to a land that God would show them, a land that they had never seen. And this one act of obedience, as you know, changed everything about God's relationship with Abraham and Sarah. God overlooked a lot of bad behavior. Because of this one act of obedience, leaving home when God told them to leave home. In the book of Exodus, the, the people of Israel, uh, Abraham and Sarah's descendants, are, are now quite a large number. And, 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 and we are told that God brought them home to the land right? that had first been promised to Abraham and Sarah. No one from this group had ever been there, of course. Right? But they understood that they were going home. And, and the journey famously took them uh, 40 years because there's a lot to learn along the way about going home. Later in Israel's history, the, the people were marched off into, into exile. They were forcibly removed from their home and taken to a distant capital known as Babylon, never to see home again. Uh, but the hope of going home again was passed along to their children and their, their children's children and in our reading from Isaiah today, we heard the story about God's plan to bring them home at last. Now, it's hard to hear those words, I, I realize, without thinking of Christmas and Handel's Messiah and so forth, but the, the, the story is about a homecoming. And, and, and the poetry of Isaiah makes it seem like the most beautiful and, and maybe the most significant event in, in human history, and in a way, it, it, it was. God's purpose for them and God's purpose for us is to bring all of us home. There's a wonderful story in the Gospels about Jesus early in his ministry going home to Nazareth. He didn't live there anymore, but he grew up there and, and his mother, according to the story, still lived there. She's mentioned, as are his, his brothers. But Jesus apparently left years before and preferred living in Capernaum. I mean, to the extent that he lived anywhere. 
Capernaum was the uh, lovely seaside uh, village next to the Sea of Galilee where, where Peter was from. And if you've ever been to Capernaum, then you might understand why Jesus would prefer to spend time there. It's breathtakingly beautiful. Anyway, when Jesus went to Nazareth, he had already developed quite a, uh, a reputation as a, a teacher and healer. And the people there were eager to see him, to see how this carpenter's son had turned out. They were skeptical, to put it mildly, right, that he could have amounted to anything because, as everyone knew, no good ever came out of Nazareth. The people of Nazareth, as it turned out, <laughs> were not very impressed with this young man. And Jesus, it's important to note, was not very impressed with them either. At one point, he said, prophets are not without honor except in their hometowns, which they did not like to hear very much. So this idea of home is very complicated from a, a, a biblical point of view. We, we long to be home. God longs to bring us home. But sometimes what we think of as our home isn't all that we want it to be or expect it to be. I mean, other times we take home for granted and, and don't appreciate it very much until we're away from home. Uh, early in my time in, in, in Switzerland, I was speaking at a men's breakfast. Uh, men apparently do this in churches all over the world. Who knew? And, and I asked the men, uh, most of whom were expats, uh, where home was. And by the way, I learned that this question uh, could sometimes be uh, an uncomfortable and sometimes even painful so after a while, I stopped asking it, but uh, I didn't know that at the beginning, and as with many other things, I just stumbled right into it. Uh, where is home for you, I said. And one man at the, the breakfast, just about everybody in Zurich, it seems, works for a bank or an insurance company. So these were no-nonsense business people, uh, financial types. One man said, home is wherever I pay taxes. <laughs> and that one got a good laugh. It's the kind of joke people tell, or men tell at uh, men's breakfast. Uh, but then another man, uh, a bit more serious, said, home is where there's a roof over my head. And I remember that all the men in the room that day, we met at a restaurant in the main train station in Zurich, the Hauptbahnhof. Uh, all the men that day nodded in agreement. I mean, this seemed like a sober, uh, business-minded assessment of their lives. They had moved around a lot. They were accustomed to pulling up stakes and setting out for another country. I mean, next year they could be living in Singapore or Hong Kong, who knew? And so this man seemed to say, home is wherever you happen to be. But do you know something? That, that answer did not sound quite right to me. It hit my ear wrong. I, I felt uh, uncomfortable with it almost immediately. And after I had more time to think about it, I decided that home is not wherever you happen to be. My home, as the Bible explains it, is rooted and, and, and grounded in a spiritual truth. Ultimately, what we believe is that our home is in God. And not only that, but we seem to be shaped and formed right, with this spiritual desire. Even those of us who say that, that we're not very spiritual. All of us, it seems, have this powerful inner desire to be home, to be at rest. In God. Uh, but I worry uh, that when we describe something as spiritual, that, that it somehow loses its, its power. So how do we talk about home in a way that has richness huh, and depth? Uh, how, how do we get a good grip on this word and find uh, meaning in it? 
A few years ago, when I was living in the uh, suburbs of Chicago, there was a radio campaign sponsored by the Catholic Church, and it was called uh, Come Home for Christmas. And there may have been billboards along the highway, there may have been signs on, on commuter trains, but what I remember were the radio ads. There would be this simple invitation directed, I'm sure, at, at ex-Catholics uh, to come home for Christmas. Right? To rediscover their spiritual roots, to, to get reacquainted with the liturgy, to, to find God again. And I don't know what it was, but I would be driving along and I would hear this, this ad on the radio and I would feel a sudden rush of tears. And as Christmas came closer, I realized, or I, I thought I realized what it was the Catholic Church was naming an important spiritual truth. To come home, to really come home, is to rediscover our true identity. For the people we were meant to be. Come home, the church said, and, and find yourself in relationship to God. I, I didn't know until this week, by the way, that this come home to church campaign has grown over the years into a national organization with uh, seminars and books and podcasts, uh, all designed apparently to tap into this spiritual desire, plus the large number of ex-Catholics in this country. The American uh, writer Mark Matusik and I don't think he's a Christian, at least not in any conventional sense, but he writes uh, about the spiritual life. Mark Matusik once tried to understand this uh, word home from a spiritual point of view, and he, he did something that seemed so remarkable uh, to me, and I wonder why no one had ever thought about it before, but he decided to interview homeless people. So he would go out in the streets where the, the homeless live, lying on park benches or uh, lying in doorways, and, and he would engage them. And it's not always possible, I know, because... There's a fair amount of mental illness in the homeless population, but he would engage the people he met in conversation about home. And what he learned was that homeless people, the ones he met and talked to, actually have a highly developed understanding of what home is. No one said home is where I pay taxes. <laughs> Just as no one said home is where there's a roof over my head. That's not what he heard. Instead, and I, I find this extraordinarily helpful, all of them said that home is where life is in balance. Home is where we find peace that, as we might say, passes all understanding. Where we are connected to our true selves and our true identity. During my 500-mile uh, walk across uh, Spain in March, I met pilgrims from all over the world, which was the highlight of the experience for me. And one of my fellow pilgrims for a few days, we, we uh, traded walking partners along the way, but one of my fellow pilgrims was a 50-year-old uh, Jesuit priest from Chile, uh, now living and working in Siberia. And I learned that he has a, a PhD in biblical theology, uh, fluent in Spanish and English and French and now Russian. And for the last 15 years, he's been leading a small theological school in a, a remote village in uh, Siberia. And from the sounds of it, he's the president, and he's the academic dean, and he's the entire faculty, and he's the basketball coach. <laughs> and and he, he told me, this is why I remember the story, that he has never been more at home than he is right now. He is engaged. He is dialed in. He is focused. And he has more meaning and purpose in his life than most of us have ever known. 
I thought for a long time uh, about that story after I heard it and about his description of what it means to be home. When Jesus spoke the words in our, our, our gospel lesson for today, he was reaching for, uh, he was reaching for the same truth. He, he was giving his followers something precious, something they could hold on to. He knew that their lives would be difficult. He never promised anything else. And so he tells them, and he, he tells us about this place where life will be full and rich and satisfying. And as most of you know, the, the words in our text for today are often used to create boundaries. And, uh, in other words, some people uh, use these words to tell us who is in and who is out. No one comes to the Father except through me. Become a follower of Jesus or suffer the consequences. I think that a closer or a more contextual reading of these words tells us that Jesus actually has something more in mind. He's leaving soon. He, he's telling them that he's going home to be with his father. And, and he's explaining to them that this home, this, this place where we are loved and wanted and, and celebrated is for them as well. I grew up hearing the, the uh, King James Version as many of you did, uh, I'm sure. So no matter what translation I hear, I always hear, in my father's house are many mansions. And to be honest, those words sounded pretty good to a, a little boy. I didn't grow up poor. Uh, but I could easily imagine the carefree life of the idle rich. And, uh, I mean, that's what I imagined heaven to be like, with gated communities and, and fabulous homes and never having to mow the lawn again. <laughs> but the words Jesus uses here suggest something entirely different and maybe not to a, a child's ear but to an adult's ear Jesus suggests something better there is a place Jesus says where you are going it is available to you partly in this life but also in the life to come and it is a place of harmony and peace and as the homeless people Mark Matusik met, put it it's a place of balance a place where things are not all out of whack. You don't wake up in the morning when you're there and wonder what awful news is waiting for you when you open the newspaper. It is a place where we flourish and, and where our gifts are welcomed and where we are able to take root and grow and become the people we were meant to be. Not all of us found those qualities, by the way, in the homes where we grew up, and not all of us have found those things over the years. Home for many of us may still be elusive and, and feel out of reach. But we still have this yearning for it. Right? We still believe that it's possible to get there. We, we still long to be known and wanted and loved. And Jesus, in these opening words of, of chapter 14, is confirming what we know deep down to be true. You will find home in this life or the next. You will one day be home, and when you get there, Jesus says, I will be there to welcome you, and it will be indescribably good. I want you to know that it's good to be home with you today. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.